getting down to the nitty gritty, the final week of the NBA regular season. Everyone fighting for playoff position. And it is going to be a wild and entertaining race to the finish line. I am Andrew Posadas alongside Kelly Bright, my faithful partner in crime. This is another edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV's basketball podcast, giving you the latest news and headlines from around the association. Kelly, just a few games left, but the pressure's on for some teams. And like they say, pressure either busts pipes or it creates diamonds. And for some teams, they're going to be in the jewelry business. And for other teams, uh, they're going to have some leaky pipes over the next week or two. Andrew, I swear your intros are getting better every episode. Uh, but you're right. I mean, this this is what this is what the whole season has been all about. We were talking even before, uh, even last night, about what we were going to talk about in the show. We just kept coming up with new topics because this is the best part of basketball. We're coming down, like you said, last week of reg- the regular season. So many teams fighting for so many things. And I know some of the players, like we talked about last episode, aren't maybe happy with the play in tournament and the way this picture, uh, the playoff picture is set up, but I love it. I think it gives, you know, at least 10 teams in each conference a reason to fight to the last second. So a lot of great basketball, a lot of great and interesting things coming out of the league this week. So can't wait as always to get down into it with you. Yeah. So much to get into. Uh, We'll preview tonight's matchup between the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers as the Knicks finish their six game road trip in LA. Kelly and I will also give out our awards for the regular season. We did so in our season preview way back when in December. And now Kelly and I will make our picks and we'll see if our picks match up to who we thought would win those awards before the season started. We'll also get into a big injury around Kelly's neck of the woods in Boston, Jalen Brown out for the season. We'll get into what that means for the Celtics, not only for the playoffs, but moving forward in the future as Boston uh, tries to get back to their winning championship ways. But Kelly, let's start first with our uh, the biggest news of Monday night, um, and that just has to be Russell Westbrook. Against the Atlanta Hawks, he puts up 28 points, 13 rebounds, 21 assists. Now they don't get the win, but that's not the story here. The story is with that triple double, Russell Westbrook now passes the big old Oscar Robertson, 182 triple doubles. Now the all time leader in NBA history, Kelly, I I kind of sat back and watched it happen in real time on NBA TV. And honestly, you know, when I went on Twitter, you see some of the feedback and there was positive feedback from players and NBA Twitter, but there was also that negative feedback from people who were saying, you know, he's a stat patter and that these are empty calories and that they don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. But Kelly, the truth of the matter is if triple doubles were easy, if they were things that anybody could do when they wanted to, then where, where, where are all the triple doubles coming from? Because that hasn't been the case. The amount of effort and the energy that you need to, to exude and that you need to, to, to have at all times, game in and game out, it's so difficult a, a thing to do. And for us, 
for him to, to be on a hundred and to be riding 200 miles per hour every single night, trying to do whatever possible in the box score to give his team a chance to win. It's something that you got to respect Four of the last five seasons. This man has averaged a triple double Kelly. It's something that we've obviously never seen since Oscar Robertson. And there's a good chance that we won't see a player like Russell Westbrook, someone who, who is just a master of these triple doubles, uh, maybe again or for a very long time. Exactly, Andrew. Love him or hate him. We are all witnessing greatness. And yep. that's not up for debate. I mean, he just passed Oscar Robinson. So now he has 182. And third is Magic Johnson, one of the greatest players ever. He only has 138. And then Jason Kidd's next with 107. The next closest active player is LeBron James himself, and he doesn't even have 100. So the fact that Russell Westbrook is out here with 182 and he's still playing, he still has at least a few seasons left him left in him is just so impressive. And there's a reason it took almost 50 years for somebody to break Oscar Robinson's record. There's a reason that he got the nickname Mr. <laughs> Mr. Triple Double because it is special. It is so hard to come out day in and day out, especially during the regular season and put up those kinds of numbers. You know, I think it's a testament to the kind of energy that Russell Westbrook plays with. You know, he he is a player who I think like a lot of players who are very successful in, in whatever sport they play, he gets a lot of hate. He has a lot of yep. controversy surrounding him. There's a lot of people who think he's obnoxious or they don't like his style or they, they try and pick at the different flaws in his games or they'll say that, you know, it's the people around him and not him. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you just look at the stats that he's able to put up in a regular season that you don't put that up by just dogging it. You don't put that up because, you know, you don't care. You, you have to actively put in such an insane amount of effort. I mean, this is the NBA. These are the greatest basketball players in the world. And in his last five games, Westbrook's stat lines are 14, 21, and 24. 29, 12, 17, mm -hmm. 13, 17, 17, 33, <laughs> 19, 15. And then with that last one, 28, 13, 21. So just to go in there and he's playing on the Washington Wizards of all teams. Like how do you find the motivation within yourself to come out and put up those kinds of numbers when you're not even playing on a team? I guess, I mean, the Wizards now, they, they're definitely uh, contenders, at least for the playoffs, but I, just to have that that drive, that inner drive as an athlete to come out and show up like that is just so impressive to me. No, and those numbers that, that you just put up over his last five games, I mean, he's averaging 23, 16, and 16 rebounds and 19 assists. These are not Jason Kidd triple-doubles where you're getting 10, <laughs> 11, and then you're squeaking out that 10th assist. Like, the what Russ is doing is he's not only – He's not hot dogging it to the finish line and breaking this record. He is sprinting right through, and it doesn't look like he has any intentions of stopping. This is a record that's only going to be extended, and anybody looking to have uh, even a stone's throw of a shot, I mean, it's going to be so difficult if Russ can keep this pace up and continue to rack up the triple doubles. Uh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, he's the only player in NBA history to reach those numbers that I just mentioned over the five game span and averaging 23 points, 16 rebounds and 19 assists. He's one of four players in NBA history with 20,000 points and 8,000 assists. Kelly 41 times in his career, Russ has led all players on both teams in points, rebounds and assists. That's the most in NBA history. And I will say this uh, about Russ. 
he has revolutionized the point guard position. What people thought a point guard should be was a, a magic, a John Stockton and Isaiah Thomas. That was the prototypical point guard, not really using your athleticism, more so of using your IQ and that vision, the passing ability, being a playmaker first and then scoring when you need to. But, but I think two guys in particular and Russell Westbrook and, and Derek Rose, they shattered the mold on what you thought a point guard should be with their athleticism, their explosiveness, Russell Westbrook, he will go down is that he is one. If you look at the evolution chart for every position and the evolution chart for the point guard position, Russell Westbrook will be one of those players right there in the middle of it. So what, and I think you said it beautifully, whether you hate him or whether you love him, his game is something that you can go, you know, 30, 50 years from now, you can look back and say, you know what? I might've hated Russ, but thinking about it, I was grateful that I got to see it up close and personal because we may never see another player put up this amount of triple doubles again. There may be guys who longevity wise, maybe they break in and get, you know, over a hundred for their career. But, but the thought of somebody putting in that amount of energy and getting over 200, because that's what you're going to need. Russ is at 182 and he could finish I mean, Kelly, it's not crazy to think he could have over 300 triple doubles before it's all over. And then they're going to call him Mr. 300. And then who's really going <laughs> to put in that effort to try and get that many triple doubles? It, it just, it, it's not common. Guys just don't want to put in that amount of, of effort on the court for 82 games, season in and season out. And for us, I mean, it hasn't resulted in championships. I think that's what everyone's going to harp back on. And it's, it, it's, it's a fine criticism to say he's not better than Magic. He's not better than Isaiah. I, I don't think he'll be better than, than Steph Curry and Chris Paul when all is said and done. But, Kelly, what's wrong with being the fifth greatest point guard of all time or being at least a top five point guard? I mean, wh what are we talking about here? I, I think for everyone else, it, it seems to be a problem. But I think for us, he's been unapologetic, Kelly, and I think that's what I love about him the most. He doesn't give one damn what we think or what we say. He just goes out there. He gives it. 100% every single time you never question that that he's leaving anything behind he always gives you everything you want and more and I think his passion his desire that's a quality that any coach wants from his basketball player or from his entire basketball team exactly I mean I mean you just I really like what you said there I mean we're talking about him being a top five greatest <laughs> point guard of all time and he doesn't have a ring which I think is almost I think that almost says more about his game and his ability. The fact that we're not even, we're talking about him, him alone and his ability to play basketball beyond what his other team, what his team success is. And I think you're right. I think that is some of the biggest criticism, especially in the past few years, we've seen him struggle in the playoffs and in those biggest stages, you know, uh, in OKC game six against the Warriors, I think it was 2016 or 2017, where he didn't get a shot off in the last two minutes of the game. So there are there are flaws to his game, just flaws to every player's game. But I, I don't think that's enough to discredit what he has proven to all of us that he's able to do with this. You know, it, it, It's just mind boggling. The, the numbers he puts up are mind boggling at the end of the day. And I think you're right. I don't know when we're going to see another player with you know, with his skill set like that, who really, like you mentioned, you, you just said it best, he really revolutionized the way the point guard position and guard position is played. So uh, I, I think 
I think he's going to continue to keep proving the haters wrong. So I think the more people are going to discredit him and try and count him down, him, like every other great athlete, is going to use that as a chip on his shoulder, and it's going to motivate him to keep going hard. Yeah, I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion that he'll finish his career without a championship. He may very well right. get that ring before all is said and done. But even if he doesn't, I mean, when you look at the likes of Charles Barkley and Carl Malone, some of the greatest ever to have to have never won a ring, I think uh, Russell Westbrook could easily be put in that echelon when his career is over. And I don't think, I mean, there may be some jokes like, Hey, you've never won a ring, you know, between him and his buddies in the NBA, some of the other superstars and legends. But other than that, I think it's clear that his legacy is cemented in what he's been able to provide the game at his position. And I would also say this, when that trade was made for John wall, that just switching John wall and Russell Westbrook, a lot of people thought that both the wizards and the Rockets were punting on the season by just trading away problems. And for the Rockets, that's exactly what they did. They were at 500 at one point, but then nosedived right on schedule. But how about the Wizards? Instead of staying in the basement in the cellar and putting themselves in the lottery, they have resurrected themselves. Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook have been right there, that two-headed monster that's gotten Washington back in the play-in tournament. And if Bradley Beal, who's uh, he has a hamstring injury right now bothering him, but but if he can be close to healthy, Kelly, and, and if Russ is there with him, I mean, for them to be where they are now and a chance to be in the play-in tournament and a chance to potentially be the eighth seed, uh, uh, <laughs> you got to say Russ has – provided that spark not only for Bradley Beal but for the entire Wizards team and it's going to bring them potentially to the first round of the playoffs they're getting hot at the right time and, and that's almost that's that's huge in playoff basketball to be hot and I think you know I, I don't know I don't know how how far they're going to get into the tournament especially with Bradley Beal not being at 100% but the fact that they're even there considering how they started this season and even considering how they came out of the all-star break is so impressive and it's a huge testament to Westbrook who I remember back when they made that trade uh with Houston a lot of people were like oh it was kind of a that was a wash like Westbrook's kind of done he's past his prime what's he going to help them with and I think he's really proven people wrong with that and you I this I don't know what made me think of this but Barry Bonds is someone who doesn't have a ring different sport baseball but obviously I mean PD and all that aside he <laughs> you know, most home runs of all time. And that's not disputed. His hitting ability is not disputed like that. So I know it's a different sport, but I, I just made me think of him and how he's a very controversial player, but he is able to go out there and be really good at getting a certain stat. And you can't discredit that. And I think Westbrook's the same way, no matter what he is, he is uh, Mr. Triple doubles already nicknames been taken, but he, he deserves that kind of nickname as well, because he, he is just one special player. No, it's an incredible accomplishment. I mean, what uh, Ice Cube said it best. You know, you mess around and got a triple double. Well, Russell Westbrook can walk around and said he's messed around the most, gotten the most triple doubles, 182. He'll look to get triple double number 183 when they play the Hawks again in Atlanta on Wednesday evening. That'll be on ESPN. And you mentioned uh, the Wizards being a team that's trying to get hot at the right time. Well, let's transition over to two teams who are also trying to get hot at the right time. And one team who has been technically hot the entire season <laughs> and has just been the darlings of the NBA. That would be our New York Knicks. And those New York Knicks will finish their six-game road trip on Tuesday night when they play the reigning 
NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers. The Knicks currently are three and two on this road trip, already guaranteeing themselves at least a 500 finish, something that many thought were crucial in holding down the fort and keeping that fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Another one of the big storylines heading into this matchup also was the potential return of LeBron James. That will not be the case. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that LeBron will take tonight off and play Wednesday instead uh, against the lowly Houston Rockets. Probably the best decision for LeBron as he tries to work his way back and getting into the playoffs. And it looks like the Lakers may end up in that play in tournament, Kelly. So they may have a date with Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors, which would be absolutely everything that Adam Silver and the NBA wanted when they implemented this play in tournament. That's the exact ideal circumstance that they wanted to manifest from that. But, but Kelly, I think when we look at both teams and for the Lakers, even without LeBron, Anthony Davis looks like he's just about back to his form at 42 against the Suns and that victory the other day and the Lakers, they'll look to at least get in healthy. They're just one of those teams. I don't think they care about seeding very much. It's all about having everyone healthy back together and then making that run to another NBA finals. And for the New York Knicks, I mean, they've exceeded everyone's at Kelly. They've made people have to recalibrate and reestablish <laughs> what, what proper expectations you should have. And rightfully so. And this is a team that looks like if they win tonight, I believe, and the heat beat your Celtics, that guarantees that the Knicks will clinch a playoff berth. So a lot on the line, Kelly, a lot of people think that the Knicks may be a bit sluggish because they've been in Los Angeles for a few days in LA, along with Miami, one of those cities and New York, that if you're here for a few days on a road trip, you get a bit distracted, but the Knicks beat the Clippers on Sunday. And if they could beat the Knicks, if they could beat the Lakers, then they could potentially guarantee themselves a playoff berth. So Kelly, what are you expecting from the Knicks tonight facing a Lakers team that does not have LeBron James and is still not yet at 100%. Listen, Andrew, the Knicks, they've been on this, they're in the middle of an 11-day Western road trip that a lot of people were worried about for them. You know, this, it could have been a potential season killer, you know, one that took them from this hot streak from being in the top six spots to knocking them down to the bottom of the play tournament. And yet already they're, they're going to clinch at least a 500 record. They're three and two with wins over Houston, Memphis, and then the Clippers. That was a the game they were supposed to lose, yep. and and they won. And I think that was huge for them. I mean, the Clipper, this Clippers team has been strong all year and is legitimately championship contenders. And they were able to come out and get that win. And now you look at the Lakers. The Lakers could not be more opposite in terms of momentum from the New York Knicks. Which I think if that doesn't show how crazy this season has been. I, I don't know what else is. I mean, both teams, the New York Knicks and the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers have the same record right now <laughs> in the final final week of the regular season, 38 and 30. Both teams are fighting for their respective spots in the playoff race, but the Lakers are trying to stay out of a play-in tournament and the Knicks aren't. The Knicks are trying to keep are trying to keep their playoff spot alive. So these it's a tale of two teams with much different expectations going into the season and and yet here they are in much different places but they still have a lot to lose and, and a lot to fight for and I think this is really exciting I mean it would have been awesome to have LeBron there I mean the New York LA showdown it, it, it's been a long time since the Lakers and Knicks were good at the same time you know like 
back to the 1970s, honestly. So the fact that if you had LeBron there, the Knicks could have broken that streak of not being in the playoffs against LeBron in LA. I think that would have been a great story, but if not, they're still going to have chances to do it against San Antonio, Charlotte, and Boston. So I, I think I am confident in the Knicks. And I, if you would ask me that at the beginning of the season, I would have laughed, but I think the Lakers are struggling to not have LeBron back. I think it's going to be a big factor. I think that they might be, like you mentioned, I think they're going to prioritize staying healthy and uh, taking minutes away from, you know, playing their bench more and playing more conservatively. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Knicks come away with yet another big win. I mean, they've gone seven and three in their last 10 games while the Lakers have only won three in their last 10. So I I think it's just, it's a tale of two teams with much different trajectories. And shockingly enough, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give this one to the Knicks. Yeah. I I would not be shocked if the Knicks capped off this road trip with, with their fourth win, Uh, And I'd also say this, you bring up a salient point about a rivalry between New York and Los Angeles. I mean, we haven't had that. When's the last time in any professional sport where we've really had an East Coast, West Coast type of, I mean, it just hasn't happened. A lot of people have been hoping that the Yankees and the Dodgers will meet in the World Series. That hasn't been the case. So, I mean, what I saw something, I think I heard it on the Michael K show, but someone had said something to the effect that the last meaningful game between the Knicks and the Lakers might not have been since the seventies when they played each other in the finals. So, I mean, think about it. And I try and think when's the last time the Lakers and the Knicks played a meaningful game in the last (laughs) 40 years that you just can't think of one off the top of your head. They haven't even been remotely close to making the finals together while Kobe and Shaq, I mean, 99, maybe, uh, when the Knicks got to to the finals in that shortened season, but they faced my Spurs and ended up losing to them. So that maybe could have been the case, but it's interesting to see that, you know, this is a game that potentially, I mean, a year or two from now, perhaps this is an NBA finals matchup between the Knicks and the Lakers. And how epic would that be uh, for New York and for Los Angeles, for California to just, I mean, I, knock on that because I mean it would be absolutely epic and I'd also say this about the New York Knicks I think Julius Randle obviously is the star of this team he should be on an all-NBA team but Derek Rose he has blossomed into arguably the best six-man playing in basketball right now I know Jordan Clarkson he exists and he's probably going to run away with the award but Derek Rose I mean over the last five games 21 points five assists four rebounds. He's shooting 64% from the field. He's shooting 63% from beyond the arc. Kelly, Derrick Rose has taken this role and he has just been that lead guard coming off the bench. He's given the Knicks exactly what they need, that veteran leadership coming off with the second unit and then also playing in closing time too. someone that you can leave out there. Coach Tibbs understands Rose's worth. And I think he is really, Uh, maximized his potential here in this second stint with the Knicks. And I I just have to think we cannot let Rose's contributions go unnoticed. He has been fabulous. And you know what? If he had been the sixth man or the lead guard coming off the bench the entire season, if he had been with the Knicks the entire season, we might be having a different conversation as if Jordan Clarkson has the sixth man of the year award wrapped up. Because ever since Derrick Rose got traded from Detroit to New York, he's been spectacular. Yeah, I would completely agree. I would even argue that Derrick Rose still has a legitimate chance of taking mm. home that award. We're going to talk um, about that in a bit. We are going to talk about that in a <laughs> bit, but I 
I mean, I can't, I'm someone who is notorious for being a harsh critic to say the least of all New York sports teams. Yeah, I cannot help but like fall in love with this New York Knicks team this year. As painful as that is for me to admit, when I was thinking about who I was going to name for each of the NBA season awards uh, for this show, I, in almost every category, I was coming up with at least one Knicks player or at least a Knicks coach or something. And I was just like, oh my God, like this team is really special. And I think Derek Rose, like you mentioned, is the epitome of that. I mean, this is a guy who 10 years ago, was an MVP. And now here he is, he has reevaluated his role and he has just been the guy for the Knicks. You know, everyone's Julius Randall, obviously he has played out of his mind this year, but Derek Rose has really, like you mentioned, come through for them in the clutch moments. And that's the type of player they've been missing for so long, even before he got there halfway through the season, you know, it was who were they going to give the ball to when it matters when the game's on the line. And it, it just has to be him now. And I, and you can't say enough, uh, for how he's played there. And I think him coming back in there and working with uh, Tibbs again is really special. And maybe you want to chalk up Leon Rose, Leon Rose for making that happen, making that acquisition happen. But uh, it's very exciting for New York basketball to think that they, this is just the beginning of like you of a special dynasty. I don't know if they're making the finals in one to two years, but I think this is really the beginning of a, of a New York Knicks team that fans are going to be able to fall in love with all over again, especially this is a young team. I mean, Derrick Rose is one of their oldest players. Like <laughs> this, this is a very young team and they have a lot of young guys and they finally, what they finally did this year. And I know we've said this on a lot of episodes, they finally let some of those young guys develop. And I think it's really paid off. Yeah. And when you have someone like Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson, those are guys who have been there, done that. They've been in wars. They understand what it takes to get, not only get to the playoffs, but make runs and, and get, you know, within, you know, a striking distance of getting to the finals and get to the cusp of that. So I think what, what they've been able to provide in the locker room and helping uh, accelerate the developments of people like, especially for Derrick Rose with the guards they have there and quickly and, and RJ Barrett, Derrick Rose, I have to think he has kind of been, you know, a, a muse, somebody that RJ and Emmanuel can kind of lean on and draw inspiration from and get that knowledge and continue learning and building on their craft. And I think it's also helped someone like Julius Randle knowing that, you know, when the time comes and it's clutch time, it doesn't have to be him or bust. He has someone there in Derek that he knows that, hey, if I give it to Derek, that's someone who knows how to close games. He's been an MVP in this league. He has been someone that you can rely on to get you that basket to win games. So I think it only helps everyone else's confidence and only reassures what Coach Tibbs understands about his team. And that's that they play hard-nosed defense and they have guys who aren't scared of the moment on offense and are willing to make, excuse me, and willing to take and make uh, big shots uh, when needed. So for the Knicks, uh, they'll look to, to cap off their six-game road trip with another W, 10 p.m., TNT against the Los Angeles Lakers and the Knicks. Again, one of those teams fighting for playoff position. And Kelly, that leads me uh, to another uh, big story, although this one is on uh, the sad tip in terms of Kelly because she is uh, <laughs> she bleeds Boston through and through. There, there's no doubt uh, about that. But one of those teams fighting for a spot in the playoffs who may find themselves in the play-in tournament, the Boston Celtics, they will have to continue their pursuit of another appearance 
in the Eastern Conference Finals without one of their two superstar studs, and that would be Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, it was announced he will need season-ending surgery to repair a torn ligament and his in his wrist he'll be out for the rest of his of the season the team announced that news on monday so and i mean it's crazy because jalen brown kelly he's been durable throughout his career he's never missed more than 12 games in a season but now jason tatum and those celtics they're 35 and 33 they're two games behind the miami heat for the sixth seed in the eastern conference in these final couple of games now Jason Tatum will be looked upon, and you know I love me some Jason Tatum. I bought as much stock as I could. It's in the closet. It's in my room. I can't get enough of it. It's everywhere, and I can't wait till it pays off and I become a multi-billionaire with the Jason Tatum <laughs> stock. But, Kelly, even I have to admit, while I think Jason Tatum, and I and I wrote this on Twitter when this news first came out, I while I think Jason Tatum can will the Celtics out of the playing tournament and get themselves that seventh seed or that eighth seed. I don't think Jason Tatum can will them out of that first round because they're going to have to either face the Sixers or the Nets, potentially Milwaukee depends on that that shuffles out in the East, but it just doesn't look like without Jalen Brown, without arguably their best defensive player, especially in the perimeter and taking on that challenge of guarding the team's best opposing player. Without Jalen Brown, even still, Kemba's looked good. Marcus Smart is there. And Brad Stevens is one of those coaches that you have to give an advantage to with, with this, the experience that he brings and, and what he has. But still, with just Jason Tatum, without Jalen Brown, it doesn't look like the Celtics are going to do much more. And now it kind of leaves that this upcoming offseason in limbo because, Kelly, I mean, the Celtics were in the conference finals three of the last four years before this season – they don't, they're not going to get there this season. We, we don't imagine that. So what do you make of the Brown injury and how do you think this affects the Celtics moving forward? Well, and John, I'm not going to lie. It's not great. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, this team is in trouble. Brown's two-way impact this year is, uh, it, there's not even words for it. And they're going to struggle in the playoffs without him. You said they are going to avoid the play tournament. I'm not even confident in that. Yeah. I think, They'll be in the playing tournament. And I think they may win one or two games in that playing tournament. But uh, if if they make that 17, they have to play a team like the Nets or the Sixers. I would be worried if I were them because, you know, this is this is a team that has struggled this year. They have faced so much adversity, whether that be injury, whether that be inconsistent play or honestly COVID protocols. I mean, Jason Tatum was in and out of the lineup. Kemba Walker's been in and out. Uh, Evan Fournier, who they just picked he met he they picked him up and then he missed two weeks yeah. for a quit and, and he's just now starting to get back uh to playing like himself so this this is a team that not having Jalen Brown who by the way is having his career, career year the best the best season of his career I mean had he not been hurt have this team not missed so all the players on this team not missed so many games I think he could have been in the conversation for most improved player because uh, you know, career best in points, assists, steals, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and free throw percentage. I mean, you can't say enough about uh, what Jalen Brown has done this year for the Celtics. But I, now you look at what's left with this team, and I, there's just too many question marks. And I think, you know, you look at who who's going to step up and, and replace him in their lineup. I think the obvious inclination would be to go to Evan Fournier, who 
he has been shooting well in the last four games, 68% from the floor and 62% from three. So if, if he's able to shoot like that and not revert to uh, how he looked when he first joined the Celtics, that's, that'll help a little bit, but I don't think Evan Fournier, Fournier can help them on both sides of the ball. Like Jalen Brown did same thing with rookie Aaron, uh, Aaron Neesmith, who he over those last six outings has dropped 15 plus points four yeah. times and he's averaging 12 points and 5.3 rebounds uh, on 58% shooting from deep. So I think he's someone who uh, could definitely step up. And I think at this point, the best thing for Boston to finish out the season is to play young guys like Aaron or Peyton Pritchard, you know, get, give some of those younger guys that valuable experience, especially playoff experience, even if it's in a playing tournament, because I, this team isn't going to make a long playoff run. So do what you can with the team you have right now. And then I think come this off season, this is a team that's going to have a lot of questions that they're going to need to try and find answers to. Yeah. I mean, I really don't think, and you mentioned the likes of Fournier and Neesmith, it leads me to believe the Celtics aren't going to lose anything offensively. Even with Jalen Brown not being there, there's still enough offense where this team can give you 105, 110 points. They can do enough right. to win a play-in tournament game or to potentially win a game in a first-round series. There's enough offense, but defensively, without Jalen Brown there, now that puts more on Jason Tatum's plate and having to guard the team's best perimeter player. And now he has to take that energy, put it on the defensive end, and – also have to average not just 25 or 30. I mean, in a first round series against the the Nets or the Sixers, he's going to have to average 35 plus if they want a shot of even pulling uh, an upset there. So I think for Jason Tatum, I think the Celtics understand that this is something that, you know, it, it really is a backbreaker. And it's crazy too, because Kelly, they had an opportunity in these last four games. I mean, they have Miami and they just lost to Miami, but they have another game with Miami and they played the Knicks to end the regular season. And they had games. They still have games against Cleveland and Minnesota. So Boston could have easily taken those four games and kind of flipped the script heading into the playoffs. But without Jalen Brown, it just doesn't look like they'll have enough ammunition to do just that. They'll still like they're going to make the play in tournament, just a matter of where they'll end up. And even if they end up in seventh, that means they play Charlotte. And as good as Charlotte's been, they've been a surprise team in the NBA. Jason Tatum is still the best player on the floor, no matter who's in, in a Charlotte or who's in a Boston jersey. So I have to think that in a one-game winner-take-all or a one-game winner advances and gets the seventh seed, I'd still take Tatum and the Celtics. But I think that's probably where the road stops. Uh, and I, I'd imagine that either the Celtic, uh, either the the Sixers or the Nets or even the Bucks would, would probably uh, take them and sweep or gentlemen sweep four or five games. So for the Celtics now, they'll have to manage without their second best player and, and that second part of their dynamic duo, Jalen Brown. His season is done. Kelly. I want to move from some sad news now to some happy news because with the regular season wrapping up here, it's time to give out our regular season awards. And if you followed pick and pot and you followed the episodes that Kelly and I have done before the season began, we had our extravaganza season preview edition of pick and pod where we gave you our picks for who would win all the major awards. So now it's time for us to make our picks for who we think should. And we'll compare and see if it matches up to who we thought would win that award in the first place. And Kelly, let's just start off 
with the most important award, the most valuable award, if you will. And that would be the most valuable player in the NBA. Kelly, right now, who is your pick for MVP and how does it fare with who you chose before the season started? And I'm going to be honest, I was looking at my picks from our episode way back in December, and I was I was pretty far off for most of my guesses, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to redeem myself with my picks today. So back in December, I picked Luka Doncic for my MVP, and I was, I don't even think, is he maybe in the top five? so so I was way off with that but I think for me the MVP is pretty obvious this year and I think a huge reason for that is that most of the league's biggest superstars have missed significant time this season LeBron James AD KD James Harden they've just missed so much time so one all-star has played in every game this season and that's Nikola Jokic and not only has he played in every game and has he been the most adorable, he's also just been the best player in the league, the most valuable player in the league. He has more assists than any other player in the league. He's a point guard and a center on offense for a team in which he is the heart and soul of the team. He's great at defense. He's great at defending the pick and roll. No matter how many times teams sort out him, he finds a way to make that hustle play, to make that big stop. And he has just been unstoppable. I mean, even, even when Murray went down with a torn ACL, Denver's been able to stay, keep up that winning percentage. They've been able to stay in the top four spots of their conference. And I think that's a testament to how valuable, which is the name of this award, Jokic really is to his team. I mean, he, he deserves this award more than anyone, in my opinion. And there hasn't been a center as an MVP since Shaq in 2000. And I think this year for me, the top two choices are both centers, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. And I think, I think he, Nikola Jokic has just put in the numbers, he's put in the work, and he's proven that he is the most valuable player in the league this year. Yeah, if I had to vote for MVP right now and I had to, to cast my ballot, uh, I'd choose Nikola Jokic as well. I mean, when you think about the fact that he hasn't missed a game uh, in a season that's seen so many superstars have to take time off and and be out w- with injuries, Nikola Jokic just continued to chug along, loses their second best player in Jamal Murray. He goes down with that ACL injury and the Nuggets just continue to play great basketball. And that's because Jokic is, he's the initiator. He's the playmaker. He's the catalyst. He is the engine. Uh, what they say? The, the straw that stirs the drink. That is the Denver Nuggets. So uh, for Jokic, what he's been able to do, I think it really was a, a two-man race in terms of Jokic and Embiid, but the fact that Embiid has missed games and Jokic for what he's done for the Nuggets, I think uh, without Nikola Jokic, even if Jamal Murray is healthy, uh, are we thinking that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. by themselves with that team can lead the Nuggets anywhere close to, to the success that they've had this season? Definitely not. Nikola, what, what he's able to do as a big man and, and he's one of him and, and beat are really bigs who are, they've kind of evolved with the games. You talk about players who are revolutionizing their position. Jokic is one of those guys and what he can do as a passer and being a point center. I mean, think about it, point forwards. Everyone is a point, everything these days, Kelly, it's no <laughs> position is safe. Every position can be the lead facilitator. So I'm with you and Nikola Jokic. I picked Dame 
before the season started. And that wasn't so crazy at at, at (laughs) some point. It wasn't crazy in like January and February and then injuries and that kind of stuff. I don't want to get into that because then it's going to make me feel sad, but, but injuries to people. And, you know, I don't want to say any names. I obviously Yusuf Nurkic, you know, he needed the winter soldier vibranium arm. Uh, CJ McCollum broke his back. Zach Collins doesn't have a shoulder anymore. He's walking around with just one shoulder these days. So I think that's what kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word ruin because, you know, that's an awful word, but it it kind of uh, uh, railroaded, if you would, or just rammed any sort of uh, Dame MVP time. Uh, My watch is still not working anymore. Let's move on because you know what? I don't want to talk about this. Jokic is definitely, we're definitely on the same page with him being the most viable player. Let's move over to defensive player of the year. I, I don't recall. I think I picked either Rudy Gobert or Anthony Davis. I have to think that, Utah for for the awards that they're not going to get from me I have to throw them a bone so I think this bone is the defensive player of the year Rudy Gobert he can win his third straight it's kind of you know Dwight Howard-esque Serge Ibaka-esque we kind of get those runs where guys go off for multiple so you know what Utah I'm sorry I, I still think you're pretenders I wouldn't bet my house on you guys even if I had an extra house on hand it just wouldn't happen so Kelly Defensive player of the year, let's just give it a Rudy Gobert. What do you think? Are you with me or, or are you going elsewhere? So, Andrew, I like that pick with Rudy Gobert. I think he's the more obvious answer. I mean, he is the traditional rim protector. He is the heart and soul of Denver's defense. But I'm going to go out on a limb, maybe for the sake of good podcasting and good radio, I'm going to oh. go with Ben Simmons. Oh. And to me, Ben Simmons is such a league defender that he can defend all positions one through five at a top five elite defensive level. And I I think he's very reminiscent of somebody like Gary Payton, who was the last guard to win the defensive player of the year back in 1995. And I just think his athleticism, his speed, his lateral quickness, he can keep up with guards. He's he's the strength and size to work with bigs. And I I think there's a reason that we consider him one of the best in the league uh, every every month we think, oh, he, you know, Benson is playing out of his mind. He has a broken jump shot, and we and we put him <laughs> in and we put him in all NBA conversations, and that's because of how good his defense really is. Yep. So for me, I, I think Ben Ben Simmons is a sleeper pick for Defensive Player of the Year. No, I would not be surprised if Ben Simmons either wins it. It's going to be either between Gobert and Ben Simmons, but I would not be shocked if Ben took home his first Defensive Player of the Year award. Let's move over to Rookie of the Year. I think this one's pretty standard. We both picked LaMelo Ball, if I'm not mistaken. And it looks like, I mean, he did miss some time with the hand injury, the hand injury, but I think he's done enough in his body of work and where Charlotte is, they're going to make the play-in tournament. And they might as they might even shock some people and get into a first round series. And then who knows with the Hornets, with how young they are and that team as confidently as they play, they play. Uh, they just play so carefree and that's because of someone like LaMelo Ball. Kelly, I think we're in agreement here. Uh, even though Anthony Edwards has been amazing after the All-Star break, what he's been able to do in putting up numbers, but when you consider what the team's success has been in Minnesota compared to to Charlotte and with the Hornets, I think it's safe to say that LaMelo should take home uh, that award and be Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think I think Edwards has had a very impressive season. He's the only rookie in this class that scored over a thousand points. He leads them all in points. He ranks second in rebounds and is third in assists. But 
uh, to me, Lamella Ball has just had such a huge impact. I mean, Edward, he's played less, played fewer minutes on a team that's destined for a lottery pick. And Lamella Ball, he before he got hurt, he was just the obvious no competition leader for this category. I mean, he's, he's just a walking highlight type highlight <laughs> tape and he's just a walking hype man. And he's brought so much energy to energy to a Charlotte team that for, for a long time was pretty irrelevant. And I think he's brought relevancy back to that franchise, you know, his size, versatility to a playmaking ability, his passing. I mean, he has 10 minute highlight reels. He's only played <laughs> half a season, not even a nope. full season. And there's like 10 minute highlight reels of just his passing. So I, I think he, you know, I, it, it is unfortunate that he missed a lot of time with that injury, but he is coming back now. And I think, I think he's still, I agree with you. I think he still deserves this award. Yeah. Let's move now to coach of the year. And this is one where I feel like, man, Andrew, why do you do this thing that you do? And it's because, you know what, sometimes you just get, you know, you just get things right. And I picked before the season started, I thought Monty Williams was going to win coach of the year. I felt it. I thought the Suns were going to finish as a top four seed in the West. I thought they'd finish fourth. They've exceeded my expectations, played even better than I was hyping them up to play back in December. And Monty Williams, if, if you know Monty's story and obviously the tragic loss of his wife, he's someone who is revered, respected. He's been with the Spurs. You know, obviously he, he spent some time also with the Blazers and someone that is universally renowned as a good person and a great basketball coach. Monty Williams, him and Chris Paul, they have driven this vehicle with this ragtag bunch of young Suns players and they are driving it to the playoffs and who knows they might shock some people and end up in the in the Western Conference Finals it's not out of the realm of possibility I think Monty Williams this is this began in the bubble they went undefeated and he's been able uh, alongside Chris Paul Devin Booker and DeAndre and they have led the charge and the Phoenix Suns are now relevant. That That's also a testament to James Jones, who was a former player for the Miami Heat, was knocking down threes in the corner for like 46 years and now has made that transition as an upper management and has helped put this team together. Uh, I, I really do believe, I mean, nothing against Quinn Snyder, even someone like Tom Thibodeau and what they've been able to do. But I think Monty Williams is your coach of the year, Kelly. Yeah, Andrew, I really like that pick. I, you did call it from the start. I, I think I went with Ty Lue, I think was my pick. Um, but, you know, you look to me, there's two obvious choices for coach of the year, and that is Monty Williams and also Tom Thibodeau. And the Suns are a team that haven't reached the playoffs in 11 years, and New York hasn't made it since 2013. And yet you look at these two teams and how successful they both have been this year. And like you said, it's, it's all about the coaching. And because you made the coach – the I'm sorry because you made the case for Monty Williams. I'm going to make the case for Tom DeVito. I think you look at this team that's defied so many expectations and they've had such a miraculous season. And the way their team is shaped, their defensive minded nature, the shared accountability, you know, that presence of cohesion that hasn't been there for so long. Those are all testaments to a great coach. And I think Tom Thibodeau, you know, he he's won the award before with the Bulls in 2011. And now 10 years later, I think he is more than deserving of that same award again. He took a Knicks team that has been desolate and honestly just depressing to watch and turned them into the most fun team in basketball. You know, Julius Randle's having a career season. Derek Rose, we've already talked about him a lot. He is having a resurrected season. And I think coach Tom Thibodeau is the common variable in all of that. 
No, I wouldn't hate it if they handed the hardware over to Coach Tibbs, but I think him in the Knicks, he'll win one for the Knicks in the next year or two. It's, it's, I think there's something down the line there. Uh, he'll win Coach of the Year, but I think Monty Williams, when you see what the Suns have done, nobody thought they were going to finish potentially as the second-best team in the West. Uh, it's It's been improbable, and as, as great as the Knicks have been and the surprise they've been this season – I think Monty Williams is ultimately going to end up with that. Although Quinn Snyder and Tom Thibodeau both have arguments uh, to be coach of the year. Let's move to most improved player. I think this one's pretty easy as well. I picked Michael Porter Jr. before the season started. I mean, he's played very well, even after Jamal Murray got hurt. I mean, he turned it up. But Kelly, it seems like we just spoke about the New York Knicks, and it feels like for all intensive purposes, Julius Randle is going to win most improved player. And you know what? With the numbers he's putting up this season, it's rightfully warranted. And, and I'm not going to hate it. Although I think Michael Porter Jr. should finish in the top three. He has a case too. Although nobody's going to hear me. Knicks fans are not. They're just going to bark <laughs> over what I'm saying. But you know what, Knicks fans? I'm not going to fight you. Julius Randle, most improved player. Kelly, uh, are you with me? I am with you. And I, I've, I've actually heard a lot of Knicks fans who are like, no, that's disrespectful to call him most pure player. He's always been, you know, he's been good. It's his seventh season in the league, but I, how do you not give it to him? I mean, this is, he, the improvements he's made have just been mind blowing. I mean, he's, he, he's going to finish top six in MVP voting, which is ridiculous. I mean, in the past, you know, on NBA Twitter, on Knicks fans Twitter, he was the turnover nightmare. He was inconsistent on defense. And now everyone's saying he's an all NBA level talent because he is. And it's rare for a player to make that kind of jump in their seventh season in the league. But a jump this big, you know, it, it can't go unnoticed. You know, he's leading an inexperienced roster with little to no expectations this year to a top five, top six seed position for this playoffs averaging 24 points per game, 10.2 rebounds, six assists, which is up three from last year. And he's just been, I think the biggest impact he's had this year that hasn't been in the past is he's making everyone else around him better. He's making his team better. You can see he's, he's really running this offense in, you know, in a way that he hasn't in the past. So I don't know how you don't give it to Julius Randle this year, especially if you're not going to give him the MVP, you're not going to give him anything like that. You, you got to at least give him this award. I would say more importantly, I, I know, he should win most improved player, but I think more importantly, Julius Randle needs to be on one of those all NBA teams. If he's yes, not, I it's agree. criminal. And I think somebody, LeBron's talking about somebody should be fired. Somebody should be fired for that. <laughs> Whoever's in charge of the voting, you're gone. We'll, we'll see you get can go elsewhere. But I think all NBA and he should finish top five in MVP voting as well. Let's go on to our final award, sixth man of the year. Uh, I feel like this one is also kind of clear cut, although it could be two players. I chose Rajon Rondo uh, before the season <laughs> began, which lets you know that I'm not sure what I was thinking. I don't know if if perhaps I was inebriated or <laughs> I don't think I was. I mean, Kelly was there with me. I think I was pretty sober, but I thought Rondo could kind of change life in Atlanta. But little did I know, Kelly, that he would change life with the Clippers and then Lou would make his way back to Atlanta to play for his hometown team and have those uh, lemon pepper Lou wings at his disposal whenever he sees fit. So it worked out for both parties involved. So my Rondo pick was hopelessly wrong. And this is why I say like the Monty Williams pick, it makes me feel like Andrew, you know what you're talking about. But then I pick Rondo <laughs> to win sixth man of the year. And then it's the other side of me that says, why are you doing this? You're a hack. But if I had to cast a vote, Kelly, I think I'm going to have to go with Jordan Clarkson. I think he is 
consistently been the best player coming off the bench for any team in the NBA on Monday night. He had 41 points, no assists. He was 16 of 33 from the field, 5 of 16 from three. And that just kind of is a a microcosm of, of his season and his case for sixth man of the year. I mean, the first player in NBA history to score 40 points and take 15 or more threes while recording zip, zero assists coming off the bench. I mean, he is exactly what you want your sixth man to be. He's a dynamo, a microwave. He can give you offensive production. You don't have to worry about it. He's a stabilizer coming off the bench. I'm going to go with Jordan Clarkson. Although, Kelly, I think by the looks of it, you have someone else in mind, I think. I, I like Jordan Clarkson. I think he, like you mentioned, he's a shooter. He That man will shoot the ball, yep. whether for better or worse, he will shoot the ball. I mean, he had more points than Curry in that win you just mentioned And he's also doing that in a team that's missing Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. So I think he really has stepped up for his team in a huge way for this Utah Jazz team. And he's going to be a big part in how well they're able to do in the postseason. But I'm going to throw this name out there because, like I said, when I went through (laughs) my NBA awards, I kept just thinking of the Knicks. I don't know if they're living rent-free in my head, I guess. And I'm going to have to put Derrick Rose's name in that conversation. I mean, we talked about this earlier in the show, but – when the Knicks acquired Derrick Rose in February, they were at 11 and 14 at the time. And since then, they have blossomed into one of the, the hottest teams in the league week in and week out. I mean, he his stats are impressive. His stats are impressive. We could list them as much as we want. But really, he has made such an intangible impact on his team. He comes in there and he just, I, I mean, I already said this earlier in the show, but he comes in and he's just so clutch for them, especially in the late minutes of the games. Or he'll take over in the second half. Tibbs will make that lineup switch and he'll come in and he'll play a lot more of those minutes. And he has just been so tremendous for this Knicks team. And he's really, you know, he's really, I think, a huge reason why they've been able to be so successful. And he is, he's such an inspiring player. I mean, this is his, how many years he's it's 10 years ago. He was an MVP. He's been through two major knee surgeries and he's still coming off the bench and being able to come and score for a Knicks team that has surprised everyone. He's shooting 48.8% from the field, 41.7 from three. He drops 25 points. Like it's nothing on random nights. So I, I think he has put himself in legitimate conversation and legitimate place to be in conversations for six men of the year. I would say this, as I mentioned earlier, if Derrick Rose had been with the New York Knicks the entire season, I would definitely vote him as the sixth man of the year. But I mean, Jordan Clarkson from from game one to game 72, he has been, I mean, for a Utah Jazz team, everyone knows the Jazz is a defensive team, a team that can't score enough to win games, especially in the playoffs. I think Jordan Clarkson has provided that spark and it's a major reason why they've been the best team in the Western conference and uh, a legitimate reason why he's probably going to win six man of the year. Although again, if the New York Knicks come away with some hardware uh, after this regular season is over, I'm not going to hate that. I just don't, <laughs> I kind of don't want to say it cause I don't want to jinx it, but if the Knicks end up with a few awards, I mean, I think nobody in, Considering what everyone in New York expected, they're just going to take whatever excess accolades and accomplishments comes New York's way. But but Kelly, that's it. And now it's interesting because we've gone on a bit longer than we usually do. And I would say it's because there's so much left uh, to talk about in the regular season is finishing in the next couple of days. But it's also 
a uh, interesting pick and pod because it's my last pick and pod. I am leaving as a senior. They can't keep me anymore. My eligibility is done. They're kicking me out. Uh, salary. Uh, I think it's what Kenny Maine said. I mean, he's leaving ESPN. He called himself a salary cap casualty. I think it's the same <laughs> with me. I tried to negotiate my contract. They just weren't trying to give me that extra year. They didn't want to give me Gordon Hayward money. So I'm going to have to go elsewhere and find uh, other stuff. No, but in all seriousness. You deserve, you deserve <laughs> Gordon Hayward money. Let me talk to an agent. Let me talk to an agent. No, but in all seriousness, no. Um, Just the time, I think for me, you know, I love basketball and, and my time at FUV, uh, the one podcast that I've worked on the most and have done the most with is Pick and Pod. Uh, I love hoops. I love talking ball. And, and Kelly, you have been the the Shaq to my Kobe, the Michael Jordan to my Scottie Pippen. Uh, whatever the dynamic duo is, you have been the, the greater superstar of the two. And I've always enjoyed doing the show with you, uh, as well as our producer uh, for this episode, uh, Thomas Aiello, uh, and everyone else that, that I've been able to share Pick and Pod with on a weekly basis. So it's going to be tough. You're going to continue on for the playoffs in the next few weeks. So pick and pod doesn't stop just because I'm not around anymore. But Kelly, uh, just know that I will miss uh, doing these uh, these episodes with you. It's been a heck of a ride. And honestly, I would just say this, hopefully down the line, Kelly, when you're done and I'm done, maybe there might be a podcast in the future that we can work on. We'll see. I don't, I'm going to have to talk to your agent. You're going to be a really big deal in the next three to five years. You have like a Maria Taylor trajectory. And if that's <laughs> the case, I'm never going to hear from you again. I'm going to have to talk to your publicist, however that works. But uh, Kelly, it's been an amazing ride and uh, Pick and Pod would not have been the same if I wasn't able to do this many episodes with you. So uh, happy to do one final episode. And I hope that you continue keeping pick and pod as popular and as popping as it's been. I mean, you're going to keep it moving, but uh, I'm sad that I can't continue forward. Andrew, I was not prepared to get emotional (laughs) (laughs) on a Tuesday afternoon, but here I am. Uh, No, but truly we talked about this before the show, but this is truly a bittersweet episode for us. Andrew, this is my first year really being on pick and pod as much as I have been. And it has been such an honor doing with you. You are such an inspiration to me and I know to a lot of people at WFUV, just the energy and the passion you bring to all these shows. We're really going to miss you. And I think you've really cemented uh, a legacy in your own. Of You know, we talk about legends all the time on this podcast, but I think you're <laughs> one, in, you know, you are definitely one for us. So it's really been an honor and hopefully, you know, Aiello, every, you know, Chris, Bridge, whoever, and all the other people have been involved. Hopefully, we can do you right and make sure that we keep this show as successful as it has been with you leading it. So can't thank you enough for all the memories and you still owe me Starbucks, but maybe, maybe I'll let it slide. Maybe, no, no, maybe. no. You can't let it slide. I do. Again, this has been uh, enjoyable. I love picking pod, love doing all these episodes with you and everyone else. And I have no doubt that you and Aiello and everyone else will continue giving us fire episodes of Pick and Pod, not only for the playoffs, but moving forward into next season and beyond. So on that note, everyone, it's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege. Enjoy the last few games of the regular season. Enjoy the playoffs. Kelly, Aiello, everyone here at FUV will continue giving you the latest in what you need to hear on all things NBA talk for Kelly Bright. I'm Andrew Posadas telling all of you, thank you so much for the time and for the episodes. Pick and Pod, as always, is a production of WFUP Sports.